This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington, and today on Face the Nation, as Americans pause to reflect this Christmas and Hanukkah Sunday, we will too. What happened in 2022 is not likely to stay in 2022, as the biggest stories from the past year are poised to be front and center in 2023. We'll look to the new year in our annual Correspondents' Roundtable, a 72-year CBS News tradition. Our Washington Beat reporters will weigh in on what's ahead with the news, the policies, and the politics they're expecting in the year ahead. Plus, what lessons were learned from the January 6th Capitol attack investigation, and what impact will they have in 2023 and beyond? We'll talk with one of the top House committee investigators, Maryland Democrat Jamie Raskin. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. We wish you a Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah. Thank you for joining us this holiday Sunday. The clock is still ticking on the final days of 2022, but there's a lot that's going to carry over to 2023. Today, we want to take a look at some of those stories. We're joined now by Maryland Democratic Congressman Jamie Raskin, a member of the committee investigating the January 6th attack. Good morning to you. Hello, Margaret. Pleased to be with you. This is an incredible body of work, um, all coming to this conclusion now. What do you think Americans at home need to know? It's a story of some real villainy and some real danger to democracy, but also of real heroism and commitment to American democratic freedom. And uh, with democracy under attack all over the world, mm-hmm. like with Putin invading uh, Ukraine and the Ukrainian people standing up for their democratic freedom and tyrants and autocrats on the march everywhere. Um, it's good to know that we have a strong, resurgent democratic spirit in America. The institutions held. Um, but at the conclusion of this, because you've spent almost two years investigating, um, what happens next for you? Are there pieces of this that in the new Congress, even under Republican control, need to be further investigated or somehow legislated around? Well, when you say the institutions held, they did hold just barely. Um, the truth is that we need to continually be renovating and improving our institutions. How so? Um, mean? Well, um, I think that uh, the Electoral College now, which has given us five popular vote losers as president in our history twice in this century alone, um, has become a danger, not just to democracy, but to the American people. It was a danger on January 6th. There's so many um, curving byways and nooks and crannies in the Electoral College that 
there are opportunities for a lot of strategic mischief. We should elect the president the way we elect governors, senators, mayors, representatives, everybody else. Whoever gets the most votes wins. So you don't think that this um, reforming of the Electoral Count Act, which is really just making clear that the vice president's role is just ceremonial with the electors, you don't think that solves the issue? It doesn't solve the fundamental problem. I'm for that. And that's the very least we can do and we must do. It's necessary, but it's not remotely sufficient. Uh, You know, we spend hundreds of millions of dollars every year exporting American democracy to other countries. And the one thing they never come back to us with is the idea that, oh, that electoral college thing you have, that's so great. We think we'll adopt that, too. Um, You know, Thomas Jefferson said that he deplored the sanctimonious reverence with which some people look at the original handiwork of the framers when Mm -hmm. they should be looking to their own experience. He said the framers were great and they were patriots, but they didn't have the benefit of the experience that we've lived. And we know that the Electoral College doesn't fit anymore, which is why I'm a big supporter of the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, where it's bubbling up from below. But there are now 15 or 16 states in the District of Columbia who've said, Mm -hmm. we're going to cast our electors for the winner of the national vote once we get 270 electors in our coalition. Let's get back to the, the work that you have just concluded, because you did make this historic decision to refer to the Justice Department for potential prosecution. A former president of the United States has never been done before. But in doing so, it doesn't have the requirement that the Justice Department act. Why did you think making that referral was necessary? Why not just let your work stand on its own with the public hearings? Well, because of the magnitude of the attack on democracy. You know, we don't have a formal statutory offense called crimes against democracy. But that's what everything was together. And then there were hundreds of actual statutory offenses under that. And we identified four. There was a deliberate attempt by Donald Trump to interfere and obstruct and impede a federal proceeding. That was the whole plan. Stop the steal, meaning go in there and blockade the House and the Senate and the vice president from doing their job. It was an attempt to defraud the United States. There was a conspiracy to defraud the United States to exchange an honest-to-goodness presidential election for a counterfeit election, complete with fake electors and forcible violence being used to overthrow uh, the process. It involved the introduction of false statements, these Mm -hmm. fake electors that were put in. And finally, There was aiding and abetting an insurrection, giving aid and comfort to insurrectionists. Um, That's an old crime in America. Our Constitution repeatedly opposes insurrection and condemns it. And of course, we thought we had solved that problem in the Civil War. But that statute that we refer to there was passed after the Civil War to make sure that people who incite insurrection Mm -hmm. and aid and abet it and give aid and comfort to the insurrectionists by saying things like, I love you, you're very special, those people are guilty of an offense against the United States, even if you're president when you do it. But don't you fear in some ways, because this referral you're making doesn't have the weight of prosecution behind it. That has to be up to the Justice Department to decide to move forward. And that's a good thing, too. But do you fear that because it is a political body making this recommendation, that it makes it easier for people to brush away some of what you just laid out, that it makes it easier to characterize it or dismiss it as political in nature? Look, in a democracy, the people have the right to the truth. Um, And so our bipartisan panel with overwhelmingly Republican witnesses coming to testify has laid out the truth, the best that we could find it. It's not been contradicted or undermined in any way that I'm aware of. And we're turning it over to the people and we're turning it over to the Department of Justice. And at that point, your, your point is correct. It's up to them and it should operate like that. Congress doesn't prosecute. But like everybody else, if we're aware of offenses, we've got to turn that evidence over to people who are prosecutors. And you're in that process now of sharing with the Justice Department some of what you found. The Department of Justice has a far vaster panoply of investigative resources available to them than we do. And a higher benchmark they have to meet to actually move ahead and prosecute. So, you know, one of the things I've heard people often parse the language, coup, attempted coup, and they 
Those skeptics that you referred to earlier would argue that to substantiate a coup, you need to actually prove that the president was cooking up this plan, directing people to do things, and that he had the support of the military in there. Whereas some of what has been laid out is kind of this unwieldy, muddy plan. How do you actually you know, assert that it was almost democracy that was lost at that moment. Well, in our report, we lay out every element of the plan, including going to the legislatures to try to get them to nullify the popular vote Mm -hmm. and pass new statutes that would just appoint Trump's electors Uh, that failed. We uh, lay out his plan of going to election officials like Raffensperger in Georgia, but he wasn't the only one. There were more than a dozen cases like that and trying to get them just to concoct votes. Just find me 11,780 votes. That wasn't Donald Trump trying to stop election fraud. That was Donald Trump trying to commit election fraud and a conspiracy to perpetrate it right there. So we lay it out. It's not muddy at all. It's Mm -hmm. very clear. This is really about the future because the political scientists and the historians tell us that the best sign of a successful coup coming is a recently failed coup where the coup plotters get to diagram the weaknesses in the existing structure, and they're emboldened if they're not held accountable for what they did. I know Mike Pence said that it would be divisive uh, for the government to prosecute the case. That's not the test for whether or not prosecutors prosecute a case. The test is whether there was a crime committed. It's the facts and the law. I mean, you could just as well say it will be divisive not to hold Mm -hmm. a president accountable who's guilty for offenses. But in any event, it's not part of the calculus. I want to follow up on what you just said, which is sort of a dress rehearsal for a coup. Um, Congress is putting millions of dollars towards bolstering security for members of the House, for uh, members of the Senate when they are home, and for those who are involved in the prosecution of those who carried out January 6th. Are you fearful of your own security? I mean, what does this say about where we are now, this far after January 6th? There's very dangerous rhetoric going on out there that's a real break from everything we've known uh, in our lifetimes. Uh, What it means to live in uh, a democracy with basic civic respect is that people can disagree without resorting to violence. But the Internet has played a negative role, especially for the right wing, the extreme right, which now engages in very dangerous hyperbolic rhetoric Mm -hmm. that exposes people uh, to danger. But democracy also requires courage. I'm so impressed by the elected officials around the country who have stood up against all of the threats and all of the intimidation. And those Mm -hmm. people don't get enough credit. We agree. Congressman, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. Stay with us. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. We turn now to our annual CBS News Correspondents' Roundtable. Joining us this year, Chief Legal Correspondent Jan Crawford, National Security Correspondent David Martin, Chief White House Correspondent Nancy Cordes, plus Senior Investigative Correspondent Catherine Herridge, and Chief National Affairs and Justice Correspondent Jeff Pegues. 
Good morning to all of you. Good morning. It's so good, good morning. to have you here on the holiday. Um, David, I want to start with you because at, at this point last year, the world was watching Vladimir Putin build up his military forces around Ukraine and wondering what he was going to do next. And then he did the unthinkable. What is happening on the ground? How is the cold affecting the combat now? Right now, the fighting is is uh, died down except in the center. Um, but the important thing on the battlefield is whether when the ground freezes solid, Ukraine can take back enough territory or Russia lose enough territory so that both sides conclude this is the best we can do and start negotiating. Um, whether that happens remains to be seen. You know, we, it, it sounds counterintuitive, but the Ukrainians have not yet demonstrated the ability to conduct offensive operations. All these Russian retreats are cases in which the Russians outrun their supply lines, bog down, pull back, and then the Ukrainians rush in. Whether uh, Ukraine can now, with American uh, weapons, dislodge them over these winter months remains to be seen. Well, there's no sign that Vladimir Putin is interested in negotiating, according to the CIA, according to the State Department at this point. No sign that he's even given up on his original war aim, which, as improbable as it seems now, was to take all of Ukraine uh, west to the Carpathian Mountains. And I mean, it's hard to overstate what a massive impact this invasion had on the world. And Nancy, it certainly pushed to the front burner for President Biden, rebuilding the European alliance and really funding Ukraine to continue putting up this fight. It's been $68 billion worth of U.S. aid to date. They're asking Congress for another $35 billion. How confident is the White House that they can sustain this kind of support? Well, it's very difficult for them to make any headway with Kevin McCarthy right now. What he has said is Congress is not going to write a blank check on Ukraine or anything else, that they want to see what the money is going to be used for. And there are some Republicans who have gone farther than that and have said, you know, we've got a lot of priorities in the world. It's not just Ukraine. And they feel that there's been more than enough money that has gone towards Ukraine already. And that's what Putin is counting on, that uh, donor fatigue and partisan politics undermine this consensus of supporting uh, Ukraine uh, with, as the words go, whatever it takes for as long as it takes. Which is what President Biden yeah. has vowed. Jan, the unexpected um, can really disrupt all political plans. <laughs> um, you correctly predicted that Roe versus Wade would be overturned uh, in 2022, and you did that on this panel. Um, it was still a shock for the country, though. Right. So what's ahead for the court in 2023? What do you need to warn us about in terms of impact? Well, I think that, you know, last term we got a, a pretty clear picture of what the Supreme Court is. Six justices, largely six conservative justices willing to look at all swaths of the law, including abortion rights, gun rights, religion. Um, we saw them, of course, overturn Roe versus Wade, um, expand gun rights, expand uh, religious expression. Uh, and normally when you cover the court, uh, they'll have a big term and then they kind of have a quiet term. That's not the case with the Supreme Court this year. They've got several cases that stand to be very controversial, including affirmative action. Uh, I expect, and I guess I can just say my prediction now, I mean, I expect this court to overturn the use of affirmative action in college admissions. Uh, that, I think, will have a significant impact uh, on the political discourse that we saw last year with women's rights. There's a, the case that gay rights groups are very interested in this year. That one, I think, is a tougher call for the court. Um, but you're seeing a court that is set on a solidly conservative path. How is that affecting the political process? This is the court we have. It's not going to change for years. And how does that affect the political process? That means if you want something done uh, and are looking to affect change and you're liberal, the, the Supreme Court is not going to be your best outlet. You're going to look to the political process. You to you're going to have to look to your state legislatures. You're going to have to look to Congress. And that, I think, is the message of this court. They're withdrawing from these social issues and saying, 
go take it up with your legislatures. Student loan forgiveness hanging in the balance as in well. In February, they just added that case. That I think is a hard case and, and one that this court may agree with some of the lower courts and say that the White House went too far. 26 million Americans have been more or less promised forgiveness by the Biden administration. The question is, does he have the authority to do that? Exactly. And so, promises can be empty if they're not grounded in proper authority. Is there a, a cost politically to making a promise you can't deliver on? Sure. I mean, you know, this is something that was uh, cheered by the left, had been pushed by, certainly by progressives for a long time. Um, Republicans were outraged. They said he didn't have the authority. Um, Jeff and Catherine, I want to get to you both because this is a very busy beat, the justice <laughs> beat, and I think it's going to get busier. Um, Jeff, what can you tell us about the timeline for the, the dual investigations being carried out by the special counsel? Jack Smith is a special counsel. He's been sending out a flurry of subpoenas across the country uh, connected to this fake elector scheme, this scheme to overturn uh, the election results. And so he's been moving fairly quickly, wouldn't you say? And he's Clearly, he has a plan in terms of how he wants to prosecute this case, where it ends up, we don't know yet. But he's covering some ground the Department of Justice prior to his arrival hasn't covered. And so they're moving pretty swiftly. In that case, you know, we should probably take our vacation soon because I have a feeling after the new year, we're going to have to start running even faster. Does it run right into the 2024 presidential race? I don't think I, so. I do think you? it wraps up uh, before then. Uh, former senior Justice Department officials I've been speaking to, when they look at this broad array of investigations, they believe that if criminal charges are brought, they see the Mar-a-Lago case as one of the more likely options because it's a more discreet set of facts that's easier to wrangle, for lack of a better legal term. Um, January 6th um, is a more challenging case, they say, because so many of the actions were taken while he was the top executive within the U.S. government. So there are all these questions of privilege. Um, my question is, if there is a Mar-a-Lago prosecution, how does that go with the public sentiment? I mean, it's a, it's a records case, right? And is that going to have the same impact as a January 6th prosecution, especially when you're seeing people who are looking at multi-year prison sentences who say they went to Capitol Hill if not but for the direction of that president. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jen, as the lawyer, do you want to weigh in? <laughs> I mean, I, I think that analysis is exactly right, and also how um, the, it might land with the public. So I, yeah. I, I, kudos, Kat. Well, I feel very. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And, and, and well, we won't even get into the political um, part of it, mm -hmm. but you rightly point out that that's also got to be a factor here. I do want to go to the other case that I know you've been tracking, Catherine, um, and that is the one before the U.S. attorney in Delaware regarding the president's son, Hunter Biden. This case has been underway since 2018. That's correct. When will it wrap up? Boy, I guess I would start by saying that that's just been the big looming question for several months now. We see upticks in activity. We think there's going to be movement on that case, and then it sort of recedes into the background again. My question is, when you look at the big picture of foreign money here, and we see this with Republicans and Democrats, what was it all about at the end of the day? Was it about trying to enrich a family by influence or access? If, if that is not the case here, as the White House says, then it should be put to rest. That's the big question. What will the U.S. attorney in Delaware do now that a special counsel was appointed in the Trump investigation? Mm -hmm. I think there's generally a feeling that there's more pressure for the appointment of a special counsel or uh, some kind of adjudication of the case. Will there be a, a, an indictment or, or no indictment? Well, Nancy, the White House would point out that the U.S. attorney in Delaware was a Trump appointee. Right. Um, and that it, it will ultimately, though, still go to Attorney General Merrick Garland. Mm -hmm. um, how is this factoring in at all to the thinking at the White House? As we know, the president is making a decision about whether to run for re-election. He's talking about it over the holidays, as he said. You can't say that his own son and what happens next isn't part of some conversation here. Sure. Although he knew that his son would be a likely target 
even before he ran the first time. So you could argue that that was sort of baked into the equation. I think they're preparing not just for that, but also for the likelihood that congressional Republicans are going to start investigating that laptop. And well, that's a certainty that, that, that Hunter that Hunter Biden has ever done uh, once they take control. And the White House is beefing up their uh, counsel's office for that very reason. And their position right now is when they think that the investigation is legitimate, They'll cooperate. Uh, they clearly don't believe that the Hunter Biden investigation on Capitol Hill is legitimate. But, uh, you know, they're going to have to respond to it in some way when it happens. Mm-hmm. I think one of the just sort of wild cards here, and it's a big if, but if there is an indictment of Hunter Biden, that I would argue would frustrate the Republican House investigations because it would put him and his legal team in a position to say, listen, we're facing a criminal indictment. We're not really in a position to cooperate with Congress because it creates more legal exposure. So to me, that's always sort of in the back of my mind because it brings a sort of certainty to the situation, mm-hmm. a sort of resolution in some respects. I wonder if there's going to be some sort of plea deal because I just don't. The people I've talked to on this case, they, they're they sort of curious about whether at the end of the day this is going to be something that, you know, the Biden family even wants to go away. Let's agree to a plea deal and, and move on. And we are back with our CBS News year-end roundtable. And I'll start with you, Jeff, is drug issues, fentanyl, crime. This is a continued story since 2020. When do we see improvement in some of these issues? It's going to be a while. It is flooding the country no matter where you go. I've been out to Colorado. I've talked to families there who've lost loved ones. It's almost as if the American public doesn't get how deadly and potent fentanyl, this synthetic drug, they make it in a lab, they ship it in. It's hard to catch coming across the border, mm-hmm. and it's seeping into every neighborhood in this country, no matter income, no matter where you live. It's in your know, neighborhood. They don't even know often that they're taking it. They don't know they that they're taking They think that they're it. taking some mm-hmm. kind of generic drug mm-hmm. or something they've got off TikTok mm-hmm. or, you know, Adderall, and you're mm-hmm. seeing kids mm-hmm. dying. I mean, it's now at the leading cause of death and people 18 to 45. Yeah, more than guns, more than car accidents. I mean, the statistics are incredible. And I think if if we weren't talking about Trump and all these other issues, the Department of Justice, law enforcement, they would like the focus on fentanyl. Mm -hmm. That's really all they want to talk about these days is is fentanyl because it's having such a pervasively deadly effect. And Catherine, I mean, on that, but also gun violence, on just major city crime. When is there going to be an improvement? It's become such a potent political issue. I think it was very well said by Jeff. The thing that I feel like I keep coming back to at the end of this year is this question of radicalization and domestic violent extremism. Um, You know, 20 years ago, when 9-11 happened, Um, There was this idea that you had to have this in-person kind of mentoring relationship to get someone to cross a threshold to violence. What we see now is that this generation that's grown up with the technology can cross that threshold in a virtual world. So what we're seeing now with domestic violent extremism on on both extremes is this um, same process that we saw with al-Qaeda and ISIS after 9-11, but now it's here at home and fueling these divisions and, and the violence. And I think about things that I've heard in the past from intelligence officials who say, you know, it's so, impo- it's so difficult to defeat the United States from the outside, but the enemy mm-hmm. has to defeat us from within and these divisions. David Martin, what was the most undercovered story of 2022? Over 2022, uh, the Chinese Air Force became more and more aggressive about buzzing U.S., British, and Australian uh, patrol planes that were flying around the periphery of China. And these jet fighters would pull up on the wing of the much slower patrol plane within tens of feet and then cut in front, pop flares, and dump chaff, which are these aluminum strips which are supposed to uh, confuse radar but can also get sucked into an aircraft engine. There is just very little margin for error there. And it goes almost completely unreported because the Pentagon is sitting on all 
the videotapes of these intercepts. They don't want to release them. I have a feeling you're asking for those. (laughs) (laughs) Nagging would be the right word. Nagging for them. Um, But that risk of miscalculation is so is so high. Um, One of my undercovers also is China. And that is just how difficult it is going to be for the U.S. to reverse or even lessen the amount of um, linkage there is technologically and financially with yeah. China. Um, and it's going to become more and more of an issue as tension grows. The other thing I'd say is North Korea, Kim Jong-un's growing nuclear capabilities. Well, I think it's safe to say that uh, the American policy of negotiating away Kim Jong-un's nuclear program has reached a dead end. Yes. And we're back to deterrence threatening him that if he ever uses a nuclear weapon, it will be the end of his regime. It hasn't been a year-end roundtable without David scaring us all. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get that good feeling back. So, Jan, what is most undercovered but should have been covered? Um, you know, I think as we emerge from the pandemic, um, we have really failed to deliver any kind of account of what went wrong with our COVID policies, the lockdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mandates, the school closures. What difference did any of those policies make? I mean, we know the costs. We know the costs of those policies, the learning loss, uh, the mental health crisis, uh, the destruction of our cities that are still trying to recover, the homelessness, the addiction, tremendous costs from those policies. But what we have not done is any kind of after Mm -hmm. review look at what an impact that they had. We got a lot wrong and we need to look at what it was and, and acknowledge that it was wrong. And the reason is people's trust in public health is crumbling. Mm-hmm. That is a problem because if we have another public health crisis, which we will, if the public doesn't believe in our public health policymakers, that is bad for America. Catherine, I want to go to you on that because I think you have a similar idea in terms of what's undercovered. I think there are two components for me with COVID. One is COVID origins. Um, You just have to look at the data. 6.5 million COVID deaths of that a million in this country and more than 600 million infections. And we still don't know whether it was this zoonotic link, so it spilled over from nature, or whether there's a link to the lab in Wuhan. I think most- And an accident there. Correct, right. So most important to me though, and I speak as someone- for full transparency, who has a child who needs special education. He had a transplant. He was developmentally delayed. The policies for special education children with COVID have just been crushing. You look at the levels of of literacy, math, and you look at middle school, high school, and they slid back to elementary school. Mm -hmm. And our family's fortunate to have that ability to use resources to get our son to a full-time special education school now. But so many of the children that he was in the public system with don't have those resources. And I really believe children are resilient. But I've come out of these two years questioning whether these children have the access to the tools that their families also need to help bridge that gap. And I really question the course it set them on in the future. I did some research, and when you look at rates of incarceration, they're incredibly high rates of adults who have learning disabilities or had special education needs. So mm-hmm. I think understanding what happened to those children and how we can do more to support them to try and close that gap is something that's been extremely underreported. Yeah. And I agree with Jan. And none of those things are on the to-do list in terms of congressional investigations. They are not. No. And, um, and if we don't learn from the mistakes of our of our policymakers, then we're going to repeat them. Mm-hmm. And that erodes public confidence in our public health system. The CDC is saying it's doing self-analysis, but people like Dr. Gottlieb would say they need Congress telling them. And we need to what? be, as the right. media, asking those hard questions. Jeff and then Nancy, what do you think are the most underreported? People feel unsafe in their neighborhoods. And the Police Executive Research Forum, which is a policing think tank led by a guy named Chuck Wexler, has said that police post-George Floyd, the training is the same. You'll recall that post-George Floyd, there were a lot of people who who said, you know, we have to train police better. What hasn't changed, according to this research, is that police training is still done on the cheap and quickly. You know, so these young 
aspiring police officers are coming onto the force. They're facing more challenges on the streets than ever before. And yet the training, according to this police executive research forum, is lacking. I think that's an important story, especially given what police officers are facing day to day on the streets and what the community needs right now amid these spikes in crime. Nancy, you're underreported. Well, I think we've done an amazing job covering the war in Ukraine itself. But, uh, you know, I think one of the things that's been very undercovered is one of the tragic after effects of that ongoing war, which is uh, growing food insecurity especially in uh, in Africa, where they are facing possibly the worst food crisis in recorded history. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, part of it has to do with the war in Ukraine and uh, the reduction in grain and other crops coming from Ukraine and Russia. But it also has to do with the pandemic and the fact that uh, a lot of aid dried up because countries had to redirect that aid, particularly European countries that are now dealing with uh, energy crisis as a result of the war in Ukraine. Uh, and then climate change, which uh, has had an incredibly uh, destabilizing effect, particularly in Africa. Um, they've missed four consecutive rainy seasons there. You've got 500,000 kids who are facing the prospect of famine in Somalia alone. Uh, this month, the president committed another $2.5 billion uh, to help with the problem in Africa at the Africa Leader Summit here in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. But they're looking for way more than that, a lot of help from around the world. And it's just not clear right now whether they're going to get it. Well, that actually transitions into where I was going to go for predictions for 2023. So I'll take a point of personal privilege because my prediction has to do uh, with Africa um, and the 54 countries on that continent. The White House is going to have to choose which ones it's going to get more involved with. And some of them are run by people that have very difficult human rights records. But the White House is going to have to make some decisions here because of the Green Revolution, because of the reliance on special earths and ingredients for the electric vehicles and other alternative energies. In the Democratic Republic of the Congo, they have 70 percent of the essential items like cobalt and lithium required for electric vehicle batteries. So this is a supply chain controlled by China coming out of countries like the DRC. And the administration is going to have to make some difficult human rights choices, who they want to do business with in the course of going green. So I'm going to watch that. Well, we're going to take a break and talk to you about your predictions for 2023 in just a moment. Stay with us. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? or the friends you find along the way. Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. David, what's your 2023 prediction? So the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Mark Milley, retires in uh, 2023. I predict he will be replaced by the chief of staff of the Air Force, General C.Q. Brown, making him the second African-American uh, after the late Colin Powell to become the highest ranking military officer. And the current commander of Transportation Command, uh, General Jacqueline Van Ovost, will become the next chief of staff of the Air Force, making her the first woman to ever sit on the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You can grade that later. <laughs> David, I usually take what you say to the bank. Just do it on a curve. Okay. <laughs> Jim? I don't think we'll have any retirements from the Supreme Court. That is not big news, right? No one thinks they're going to retire. But I, I see this Supreme Court staying intact, not only through the end of President Biden's first term, but if he were to be reelected, I do not think he gets another 
Supreme Court nomination. This court is this court. Whether it will be the court that is the longest in history of nine justices to go without a change in membership, I don't know. That was 11 years. That was after Justice Breyer joined the court in 1994. Um, but it will be this court for some time so people can get used to um, mm-hmm. some different rulings. Catherine? I think many Americans forget that there's still been no resolution to the 9-11 military prosecution at Guantanamo Bay, and we're entering a second year of negotiations between the military prosecutors and the attorneys for the defendants. I think this could be the year where there are plea deals in the 9-11 case for some or all of the men. So let's just let that sink in. I think it's going to mean the death penalty is off the table, and in return, there guarantees that the men will have uh, certain medical care, and that they will live out their sentences at the Guantanamo Bay prisons. That means that this goal of closing the prisons, which has been held by a couple of administrations, has has run its course. It's not going to happen. Jeff? Bonnie Willis. Do you recognize that name? Georgia. You did. Georgia, (laughs) Fulton County, the Mm -hmm. one sort of Trump-related investigation that really flies under the radar. She's a tough prosecutor. She's been subpoenaing everybody um, connected to this case, powerful people in Washington. But my theory is that she doesn't care about the power in Washington. She knows she has power in Georgia. And I think my prediction is that she will bring the first charges related to President Trump. Remember, that was the call where he said, hey, Brad, 11,780. It's evidence on tape. Um, Anybody else who said something like that uh, would be in big trouble. Nancy? Uh, I predict that sometime in the first few months of 2023, President Biden will announce his bid for re-election. To me, it's not much of a mystery. This is what he has wanted to do his entire adult life for the last 50 years, is to be president of the United States. Uh, He feels good about what he's accomplished in his first two years, and I think it would take something very serious to cause him to uh, change his mind about running again. I want to go to good news from 2022. Um, I'll start David, uh, NATO is not brain dead. And the French president, Emmanuel Macron, once called it that. And the sure. lesson from 2022 was that it's not. That's mine. <laughs> that was my good news. Good, good, news, good <laughs> news for the West. Good news for us, bad news for Putin. Um, my good news is much more uh, limited. Um, retired Army Major John Duffy, who received a long overdue Medal of Honor, for leading, being the only American advisor leading a South Vietnamese battalion against an entire North Vietnamese division. He went in with 471 troops. He came out with 37. Wow. He did four combat tours in Vietnam. So he's obviously a remarkable warrior. But he also turns out to be a remarkable poet. And he wrote a poem about that battle which is the single best account of combat I, I have ever read. So I, I know we don't do poetry readings on Face and Nation, but, <laughs> but just, just let me give you a couple lines. Okay. The battle raged back and forth, the dying, wounded, moaning softly. Despair and hurt are common. Is this glory? Mm-hmm. We're lucky to have people who can fight like that and right like that. Mm-hmm. Well said, David. Jim? You know, I, I um, that's hard to follow that. I know um, it is. But I'm going to follow it with a story of uh, perseverance, inspiration, uh, courage, and believing in yourself. And these are stories that we see in the world of sports. Um, I think sports plays a valuable role in kind of bringing us together and emphasizing our common bonds. And one of the best stories in 2022 was um, Hansel Emanuel, who uh, is a young man who lost an arm in an accident when he was a child, had it amputated, but never gave up on his dream of being a basketball star. He moved to the U.S. Um, from the Dominican Republic, led his Florida high school to the state championship game, got a college scholarship to play basketball in college, and earlier this month scored his first points in a college basketball game with one of his signature thunderous dunks with his one remaining arm 
And it is to me a reminder that if you believe in yourself, keep working, never give up, that you can do great things. That's also an incredible story, Jen. Thank you. You are good news, Catherine. Well, um, to sort of follow up on what David said, I've um, really had the honor of meeting a lot of service members this year who work in the shadows and do very high-risk work with no expectation of public acknowledgement, no expectation of medals, um, or even promotion. And I think that they just embody what is so great about this country. Uh, we have a phrase in our house, which is that these people really come from a different shelf of the library than the rest of us. And thank goodness for that. Jeff. Uh, it's so hard on my beat to find a, a good news story sometimes, but all right. So I went to Ohio. I was taken to a cigar shop by, it's Mason, Ohio, by the way, by this uh, businessman, friend of mine, happens to be African-American. So I went, waiting for my flight. We sat down outside, and these two guys, we were dressed in suits, they were dressed in overalls. And they walked by and said, hey, how you doing? I said, wow, oh, okay, because I'm not used to, in, in D.C., stranger just kind of, it's like, whoa. <laughs> I asked my friend, what was that? And there were two farmers, and he said, that's the way it is around here. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, we just, you know, they'll stop and sit. And they did stop and sit. We were talking about politics, we were talking about the state of the country and how great this country is. Then it turned, because he started about talking about COVID and how he lost his wife. Oh. It was really incredible, the, the conversation that these strangers from different worlds had. And as I was asked this question, what kind of positive can you bring the, to the table? To me, that is America, where you have all these people with different point of views come together, not fighting, smoking cigars, chatting on a beautiful day, and getting up, walking away, and saying, hey, take care. Nice talking to you. A human connection. Mm -hmm. Nancy? My good news is related, and it's not really on my beat mm -hmm. either, but I say this more as a mom, I think, that uh, this was the year that life got back to normal, or close to it. You know, at this time last year, Omicron was just emerging. In January of 2022, there were a million cases of COVID every day. Um, now we're down to about 150,000 a day, which isn't great, but it's better. And, you know, we're able to gather inside, we're able to travel much more easily. Um, you know, it's not exactly life as we knew it before the pandemic, but it feels more normal for us and most importantly for our kids. So that's my good news. Thank you all for joining us and sharing your insights. And thanks to all of you. We'll be right back with a lot more Face the Nation, so stay with us. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. One of the many surprises we were witness to here in Washington in 2022, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's whirlwind trip to the nation's capital last week. His story will definitely continue into the new year this lightning-fast Washington trip, his first foreign visit since Russia's full-scale invasion. It was less perilous than the front lines, but no less important. The U.S. has given the lion's share of Western military support. But as that price tag now nears $100 billion, a number of lawmakers have voiced skepticism. Zelensky shared his gratitude. I thank every American family which cherishes the warmth of its home 
and wishes the same warmth to other people. There was no holiday ceasefire. Ukrainians kept up their fierce resistance, celebrating in subway shelters, decorating makeshift Christmas trees, and finding innovative ways to light them amid a near nationwide blackout. Kyiv's mayor said lighting the tallest menorah in Europe shows that light always wins, not might. That resilience has inspired the world and led many Americans to see themselves in the civilians caught in the crossfire of a conflict they did not choose. Whether that continues is up to us. That's it for us today. Thank you all for watching. All of us here at Face the Nation want to wish you and your family a very happy holidays. Until next week, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Maryland Democratic Congressman Jamie Raskin, CBS News Chief Legal Correspondent Jan Crawford, CBS News National Security Correspondent David Martin, CBS News Chief White House Correspondent Nancy Cordes, CBS News Senior Investigative Correspondent Catherine Herridge, and Chief National Affairs and Justice Correspondent at CBS News Jeff Begays. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates in CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News streaming network on Sundays at 1.30, 4, 10 p.m. Eastern and again at 4 a.m. the next morning. And it's available through our apps, CBS News and Paramount+. Plus. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit Cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.